0: plushcare.com slash weight loss is Dave just <laughs> doing laundry right now
2: yep the funny thing is even a few years ago when we were starting the podcast it'd be like Dave you ready to go I will be in a minute
3: right a few more socks guys and we are laughing <laughs>
4: Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the Front Free. We are back. If not now, then when? I guess is the question. Um, and I'm delighted to be joined by, not free, but all five of us are here. Live from London, Lawrence McKenna. Hello, how you doing? Live from Manchester, Dave O'Brien. And yes, the washing has been hung up. Yeah, we, we were slightly delayed there as Dave folded up his washing. Priorities. Yeah. Uh, from New York, we've got Chris Henich.
2: Hello,
4: mate and live Live from new york from new york live from orlando florida it's nico morales as well how are you doing i can't tell you how elated i am to hear that intro yeah i'm delighted to be back i'm delighted to speak to you guys of course delighted to be on the podcast
2: Stop saying delighted
4: i am i can't (laughs) help it it's lovely to see your faces all in one place What's brought us all together once again is the little issue of the global pandemic that has overtaken the globe. And most importantly, as we sure would all agree, is how it's impacted football. Could football have handled coronavirus better should the Premier League come back at all this season? We'll be getting into it all. First off, though, I just wanted to, to catch up with you guys. Can't let the audience catch up <laughs> on what's been going on with you guys. Let's start with Chris. It'll be the biggest lifestyle change, right? Yeah, since we officially last recorded a podcast that was the end of the world cup
2: (laughs) you're a woman
4: (laughs) you've made some drastic lifestyle changes chris what are they let the audience know because then we jump into all sorts of conclusions (laughs) Uh, no
5: yeah i moved i moved to new york in in september last year um to perfect timing yeah i know right from from a burning port to another burning port um Mm. but yeah no I'm, i'm here with my fiance now and i've been living here since september and it's uh it's been an interesting first year, um, as that anniversary <laughs> approaches. So yeah, it's, uh, it's nice.
4: just, uh, the hotspot of the the global pandemic. How, how is it there?
5: Yes. Yeah, I have to be honest. It, I haven't seen too much of it on my doorstep personally. I, I think the city has definitely been rocked by it. The statistics are there to back that up. Um, but the part that I'm in in, in Brooklyn, it, it's not something I see every day. Um, so yeah, you you could be forgiven for just thinking it was a little bit of a quiet time. There's still people playing football at the school at the top of the street and things like that. So it's um, I guess a bit odd in that sense.
4: Obviously, Nico, I I don't want to just focus on the global pandemic because you know we need a bit of distraction. But what about what's it like in Florida and beyond that? Like, what have you been up to for the last what eighteen to twenty-four months?
0: Uh, you know, for the last two years, I've just continued to, um, you know take my time in, in academia and do other things I've started to write about and become sort of interested in a professional sense and other things other than football. But yeah, it's, I mean, the coronavirus here has been interesting. It's, it's not really, I, I would say it's probably pretty similar to what Chris said. Like it's not been on my doorstep necessarily, but obviously like my day-to-day life has been inextricably changed by the, uh, the um, prevalence of the pandemic. So yeah, it's, it, thankfully it's not been too bad and not affected me too personally, but yeah, it's it's been interesting. Me and you were in uh London,
4: Lawrence, obviously com- yeah, pretty much complete lockdown, it feels like. I know they've sort of eased it in the last couple of days, but how how are you finding this uh I mean, what do you prefer? Unprecedented, or worrying times Delightful. we're in? Delightful uh, times we're <laughs> in, yeah.
2: Delightful times we're in. Uh <laughs> I I think it I mean it is unprecedented, isn't it? But then I I think I guess for me, there's a, uh, I'm just trying to see it as a bit of an opportunity. You can be quiet in this time. you know. Maybe it's a bit of a reset for some people. I think a lot of people would rather use it as a reset. And maybe football should kind of use it as a reset as well because there's a lot of things that I think... You, you, football began to feel a bit like an unstoppable churn that you couldn't really get out of. Mm. And I don't think anyone was really going to put a pause on it. And then suddenly we get to this situation where, oh, now we're forced to pause it. Surely this is a great opportunity for people to sort of go um so what should we change is there anything we need to change
4: yeah i wonder um we're we're gonna dig into that we we will definitely dig into that um
3: dave
2: dave what's it like in manchester where the people are just zombies anyway (laughs) (laughs)
3: Lawrence fucking mckenna very fucking funny you
0: missed him you can tell there goes goes our uh our Uh, e for everyone rating on the episode
3: yeah Uh, i've um i've spent the time cooking and cycling no, I've got big, At the same big time. carbs. <laughs> big carbs. <laughs> wow. And I'm fucking sick in the kitchen. That's what I've been doing.
2: Stop swearing, you fucking oh, idiot.
4: Personal improvement to, to put it another way. What
2: have you learned? What have you learned, Dave? What have you learned to uh, it's hard this- to make pancake going downhill? <laughs> <laughs> no, come on, Dave. What have you what have you learned to cook?
3: Uh, this weekend uh, was jerk chicken and a Roman carbonara.
2: Well, you are which you was eat?
3: delicious. Roman. What yeah. makes it Roman? So Roman carbonara doesn't have cream in; it is just simply eggs, Parmesan cheese, lardons, and pasta. That's kind of it.
4: Sounds great. Sounds delightful. It's it back is on the fat. Delicious.
3: Absolutely delicious. What
4: about low-fat carbonara, basically? <laughs> what about basically. the uh, the Statman Dave Empire grows oh, ever yeah. larger? Just past two hundred <laughs> thousand. Like
3: two hundred thousand. We're just dealing with we're dealing with Alexander the Great at the moment. He's in the empire, and we've got to get rid of him. <laughs> Trying to burn like, it
2: all down, isn't is
0: it? Burning. Wow. Yeah, are you talking about Stephen
2: Housen name? now? Okay, sorry, I thought you were talking about Stephen House um, there are, You know, that's one change that has uh, occurred since we last did the podcast. Uh, the, you know, the actual podcast, not just sort of a one-off. Hmm. But we, there are a lot more people now with a prefix Statman on their uh, Twitters and everything else. <laughs> You're not the only Statman anymore. It's a revolution,
3: oh. Lawrence. Taking the people. Is this the Statman the army? Republic, the Republic may be getting hammered by Alexander the Great, but the people... They still believe in the Roman Empire, so I, the, I, you know the, no the statemen will going. continue, Lawrence.
4: <laughs> we should talk about football. Look, I'm I'm excited to, to dig into it with you guys because there's there's
2: so much. Oh, sorry, Boltwood, are you okay? I,
3: I'm fine. I'm I'm great. All right. Um, he's see. been on bloody family quizzes for the last two months, Lawrence. Daniels, every single day. Uh, he's got I fucking think, Zoom Pro or whatever I it think is. Everyone,
4: <laughs> everyone's been doing a few. You look very red, Adam. <laughs> Yeah, I, I mean, I like to think that's the tan <laughs> I've sort of uh, maintained from my uh, my honeymoon, but that was two months ago. But it was, oh, yeah. um, how was where'd that? you go? It was great. Went to Asia, um, it was very funny you yourself, uh, Wuhan. Uh, it funny, go to Did you it, say? It. it was funny in the terms of how quickly everything sort of changed in terms of going away to Asia. Obviously, when I was away. Friends of mine who were in China, who were coming across to me as in Thailand. All the talk over there was, of course, about this virus that was sort of spreading. How's this going to affect our travels? Is everything going to get locked down? Are we going to be able to go to all the countries that we've planned, that we've booked flights to, et cetera, et cetera? And obviously, everyone at home was very worried and very concerned. My parents like, like, are you going to bring this back? You know, work people and potential opportunities have been lined up. Yes, he did. They were like, oh, yeah, (laughs) it was all me, guys. Patient number zero. It was very funny (laughs) how it all kind of... In hindsight, of course, it was all very surreal how it kind of changed over the course of seven days from people being like, oh, my God, it's, it's crazy. In Asia, you're really at the epicenter of it to all of a sudden being like, oh, wow, it's actually spreading all across Europe and Italy as a new are <laughs> coming part. back to the epicenter and, <laughs> Oh, actually, there's more cases in England than there is in the whole of Indonesia. So it's actually worse coming back to England, which was mid-March, which was the time I was coming back. And that was the week where it all sort of spiralled out of control, as it were. And especially looking at in football, it all kind of went from... That was the week where they were playing those knockout Champions League fixtures. Liverpool were playing at Let's Go Madrid. Of course. <laughs> knockout Champions League yeah.
2: fixtures that should
4: never have been played. That was It was the space of maybe five days where it went from, oh, OK, this virus could be something that could be uh, a little bit troublesome, a little bit tricky to deal with. To all of a sudden, football shut down. There's players, there's managers testing positive for coronavirus. I was planning to come back that weekend to watch Spurs versus Manchester United on the Sunday, which I think was the 15th of March. On the Friday, the 13th was when it all kind of shut down and got cancelled. But it is funny, Lawrence, I'll come to you first, just to, to, to think back to what was two months ago now, to how different the perception was, how different the situation was and looking back in hindsight on, especially that Liverpool Atletico Madrid game, fifty two thousand people at Anfield, three thousand Spanish fans coming over from one of the epicenters then of the yeah. of the pandemic, and how quickly it kind of spiraled out of control.
2: Yeah, I think in hindsight, uh, a lot of people began to put more meaning onto it than it actually had. Mm. There were some, there are some cases now where people are saying, well, I think part of it was people thought, well, if the match happened, then the next day people would start getting ill. But actually, yeah. we found that there seems to be a bit of a gap between people uh, contracting it or coming to contact and then people getting ill. So, uh, you know, immediately after, the, there wasn't really much focus on coronavirus. That was actually sort of a sub headline to the actual headline, which was the champions of Europe, this powerful, probably the best team in the world right now. I think <laughs> anyone on the podcast would agree. I don't uh, know has just been knocked out of Europe. Mm. Uh, you know, in kind of controversial circumstances. Controversial, so, controversial, because <laughs> I think uh, Li- Liverpool uh, were in the ascendancy t- towards the end of that game, and then uh, got got too confident, and think, and the tie got turned on them. The ascendancy—that's um, a way to put it. Um, and so, uh, I, I mean, I, 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 a lot of people are saying that it needs to be replayed, all that kind of rubbish. I don't think it does. I don't think anyone should be using this opportunistic uh, kind of attitude when we get into this point, but. Um, I mean, as a set of fans, I think uh, that there will be people who feel, well, if other people get to play it post-coronavirus, why can't other teams get to play it post-coronavirus? All this kind of thing. If the Champions League even continues, it might be that we just knock that one on the head. I don't know. To, to be honest, I feel like the Champions League is probably a more viable competition than the Premier League is a viable competition. Oh, wow. And I'm not... If, I, if I'm honest, the wider conversation for me is less about how do we continue but if we do continue how do we improve the actual experience of watching football the experience of it because we're not going to be able to fill stadiums i think we should take the teams out the stadiums and put them in like fully fitted studios where we can basically film the game to the best of its ability and the best the best quality we can oh wow well,
4: there's there's a lot of issues there's a lot of layers to that which will come on to. Yep. believe me Sorry. um But Dave, I just want to talk to you uh, about how did you react or what was your thoughts on how and when football shut down? There's a survey I'm going to refer to. The Athletic have done a survey of football fans asking their opinions on the shutdown of football, its potential return, et cetera, et cetera. An interesting stat I thought was out of the thousands they interviewed, 48% said that football was shut down too soon. Now, if you think back to that weekend, they were planning to play that weekend of fixtures. Yes, there was a lack of direction from the government. It was left up to the Premier League to decide whether those games were going to go ahead. They were set to be played that round of fixtures before Mikel Arteta tested positive for coronavirus. That was kind of the the moment where everyone was like, okay, this is ridiculous. We can't actually go ahead with this. But like, what, what was your thinking at the time about how the Premier League was responding to the
3: coronavirus? Weak. Weak to say the least. I think it was far too late, you know, but it was far too late in terms of the countries that have the power responding to it, but also the Premier League not, you know, just banging it on the head. You know, I think the, the damning stats that come out is how the, the fact that Bergamo basically got decimated because Atalanta played away at Valencia. Like that was the reason why Bergamo, one of the reasons why Bergamo got hit so bad because their, their fans came back and they infected everyone. And I think that's the issue. It took Mikel Arteta for it to be a point of, oh, we've got to actually can this. That one of our own's caught this. Oh, it's fine if it's halfway around the world. Oh, it's fine if it's, you know, only X a percent of people. It's going to be fine. And then, bang, we've got this global pandemic. And then we're like, oh, we should have probably dealt with this a lot sooner. So the response was poor. and And, and from now, the communication's even worse. You know, government have been terrible. The British government, that is, has been terrible in terms of communicating what's happened. Now, the American government following suit. Nailed it. Yeah, exactly. Well, the American government, I don't, you know, not. I don't not. I don't live there, so I don't know the exact same part to that. Yeah. But pff, come on, it, it's been atrocious, and it, it was it was far too slow, and it's almost embarrassing to be part of this sport.
4: There's one thing about like, kind of football's response that um, I do want to ask Lawrence about, but I'll get. Uh, Chris involved first, is something that I think really really put people's nose out of joint and was kind of a, a, a deserved source of ridicule, should we say, was the decision of Spurs and Liverpool specifically, the, the biggest clubs, to put their staff on furlough. Now, if you're not aware, the furlough scheme is something that's been brought out, brought in by the British government. The idea is that it avoids or it's designed to help companies avoid sacking staff and firing staff because the government will pay 80% of their wages for a certain period. That certain period is three months. So if companies decide to enroll on that scheme, obviously they can keep their employees in employment, but the government will take on the burden of paying their wages during this pandemic. I think there was a lot of expectation that maybe that was for smaller businesses, um, not necessarily... Uh, football clubs that are generating millions of pounds in in profit, let alone revenue. What was your reaction, Chris, to Spurs and Liverpool's decision to do that? Because they obviously drew the most fire, being the Champions League finalists, being these two powerhouses in the Premier League.
5: Yeah, I, th- I think I wasn't terribly surprised to see football clubs do it, just because I think at that level, it's a business first and foremost, and, and if there's an opportunity for them to save money, they're going to take that. I think where football clubs are different to a regular business is that there's more of a perceived social conscience and there's more of an identity attached to it. Like you don't support Tesco, you don't support Sainsbury, so you don't attach a greater meaning to what they represent to you personally. So I think for Liverpool, it was, it was a more pronounced misstep because of what I think they project as standing for. Whereas I think Tottenham at least through Daniel Levy, have, have a somewhat fairly established identity as being quite shrifty and quite... It was
4: on brand. It was definitely on brand.
5: A little bit, <laughs> yeah. It, it didn't feel as almost surprising in the same way. It didn't feel surprising when Mike Ashley did it either um, because there, there is this reputation of them being very conscious of the cost of everything and how best to operate from a business standpoint. But yeah, I think in... in a much wider perspective, football, or at least the Premier League, because I don't know the other leagues intimately in terms of how they've responded. It's been a real microscope against sort of where their priorities lie, and I don't think it's done any of them real favours. I think footballers personally have come out of it well in the sense that people like Danny Rose brings to mind, Jordan Henderson, and those players that signed up to the NHS agreement have shown that they want to give back, that they want to use their influence in a positive way to help people. Whereas it seems to me from the outside, not being in the UK anymore, that the Premier League, and, and more specifically I think the clubs, have really put business first to a, an almost sickening level that I think is, is going to turn a lot of people off actually and, and almost make them disassociate a little bit with, with what the Premier League is. Mm, I think it's a really good point. I,
4: I definitely, <laughs> definitely as a Spurs fan, is something I felt very strongly. There was kind of this sense of almost like, football's turned this back on us, so I'm going to turn my back on football to an extent. But it also playing into that perception, Nico, is Liverpool and Spurs obviously reverse those decisions at the end of the day, but only because of the pressure that was put on them and the ire that they drew for those decisions. So again, it's kind of like, how much credit can you give them for reversing the decisions when it was only because of the public blowback?
0: Yeah, I think um, when all that was happening, I, I think Lawrence said something on his Twitter about um, the credit that Liverpool deserved to a certain extent, and that's entirely true. You know, the, the the positive things that happen sort of therein after, like you said, reversing those decisions are things that are going to positively impact people's lives, surely. Um, and if anything, it's a testament to the kind of things that you should be saying in the and the democratization sort of of people's voices in a, in a digital medium that has, you know, a tangible effect on actual communities. You know, these are, as much as we've become cynical about the idea of a club not belonging to us anymore, there is still a sense of attachment that people have. I remember, um, you know, when Spurs signed Serge Aurier, there was a significant backlash from, members of the LGBTQ plus community that were uncomfortable with some of the comments that he had made in the past. And even though, you know, they were never going to not sign him because it was somebody that they had paid money for or not play him. It was still something that had to be addressed and so on and so forth. So there's an element to it of where it's a positive and in, in which it's, in, it's been influenced by the people that make the thing what it is equally, you know, it's, it's a damning indication of, where their motivations lie and specifically how motivated they are by a specific aspect. And we talk about, you know, the decisions that the premier league has made and other institutions have made with regards to that. And it's all unfortunately monetarily focused, right? Like you look at this desire to create like a sports biodome where we have players living in isolation, only playing sports for our entertainment. And that's, that's not necessarily, I think I'd like to think because they want to play the games necessarily, but it's because there are multi, you know, billion dollar contracts on the line that the TV companies are not really relenting on and saying like, well, we we bought this rights from you and you have to fulfill it. So I think in the, it's in that sense that we're really sort of finding out the the underpinnings of where the motivations for certain things happen. And uh, that can be a, a really revelatory thing. Um as to where you know we might not have known about it specifically before.
4: Yeah, it, it kind of it feels like it's bringing it into to, to stark focus, Lawrence. Like where the the motives and the the intentions of clubs are. How do you feel about that? how do you feel about Liverpool specifically playing into them?
2: <clears throat> uh, Liverpool is an interesting one because I think it, for me it, it sort of split my opinion. Um, I've been impressed with the decisions that Liverpool have obviously made on, on the pitch, and often think those deserve a lot of credit. And part of me always wonders why. That same uh, analytical sense, being able to judge a situation quite well and, you know, almost see into the future, signing Virgil van Dijk, signing Allison, signing all these players who, um, in many ways, I don't really know what to call it now, but, you know, it's money ball in a sense that when you sign Mm. this guy, you go, well, that looks overblown. And then Virgil van Dijk is now with, what, 200 million, et cetera, et cetera. if if you're able to do it on the pitch, why are you not able... Maybe life's a bit more complex. You can't quite judge it in the same way, but I don't quite get why a club could make such great decisions in one aspect and then not in the other. And not only that, but have a club that in October of last year was saying we want to make decisions that Bill Shankly would be proud of and then furloughing <laughs> thousands of people after that is, is is at odds with that sort of... Um, those kind of things. And you, you, I mean... Bill Shankly would be disgusted with the Premier League anyway. So I don't really think that Bill Shankly would be happy in general with the structure of football. Hmm. And I think a lot of managers who were back from those times would probably be less than pleased with the situation we've got ourselves into. And I think that is part of it is that what is, It's not quite allowed us completely out of the bubble that we created, but it did begin to make people step back and go, hold on a minute, we're we doing this all right. But I'm worried that in the... In the, there are people who we're quite close to, and, you know, we know people in business who want football back as soon as possible because they can benefit from it as soon as possible. They mm-hmm. can make money mm-hmm. by covering it, all those kind of things. In our rush to get back and cover football, we don't, we shouldn't compromise what we want football to be or those kind of things. I'm not saying, therefore, we have to have fans in the stadium, or that kind of stuff, but I do think, I worry that we're going to make compromises which in the long term might, sacrifice some of the privileges that we have in football and some of the things that give people the most pleasure mainly because the people who will be able to step up most in this time will be the corporate people who will then control things i don't want to feel or act as if we will be indebted to the people who not only benefited most and therefore can afford to fund football now but also um had the most money in the first place and so could afford to control football I don't want to mask, I don't want to call it privilege, but I don't want to mask the, the, the good situation these guys came from by going, these guys save football. Thank God it's back. Thank God the Premier League is back. It's like, I just want football. Like, I, don't, I, I Obviously, I want Liverpool to do well, but I don't want it to be at the sacrifice of what football represents to me. Yeah. So that's part of it. That's the biggest part of it for me. I felt, and also, I kind of say this. In covering Man City recently, and Nico, you probably felt the same. I've come to a realisation that the owners do not represent the fans and the fans do not necessarily represent the owners. And the two can regard winning in two very different ways. And in many ways, Pep Guardiola can regard winning in a different way to his owner and to the fans. And that still have validity. And that was part of what I found interesting in all of this is when you criticise Liverpool, there only seemed to be, you could only really show Liverpool fans all as one. So it was like, all Liverpool fans should be ashamed of this. And it was like, well, I am in a way, but also I didn't vote on the decision. I didn't have a choice in whether my club furlough people or not. It doesn't represent me. There's not those are the, not the values that I have. So why should I be answerable for that? Is that
4: the is that not what this situation has just made clear, though, is that people's clubs do represent. That is part of their identity. I don't know.
2: No, I I think they I think they mistake the idea that having a passionate experience therefore equals identity. But... And that that and in many ways you're just getting what that's buying into the idea that they want you to buy into which is you have an experience with us, you take on the identity that we create. We've created a desire about identity therefore you should have it. Whereas actually that is is that like the tail wagging the dog or something? Yeah, I know what you
4: mean. It's like the Dave, I'm interested in your thoughts, but it's like Spurs represents me in a way. Like Spurs is part of my identity in quite a profound way. And the way they've behaved in the past, <laughs> I don't want to go back to Portugal, <laughs> but especially in the last couple of months, we'll say. He's still I know, I'm still, I'm still very. <laughs> They're both traumatic in, in the same way. But um, the way they've behaved during this whole globe pandemic has made me think, okay, I understand what your priorities are. I understand what your intentions are. I had a, a, maybe a, a naive or, or you know, rose-tinted view of what Spurs was, even in this sort of modern era where we, we all know and kind of accept to an extent what football is about and what the Premier League is about. But it's just kind of made it really clear now and going into this attempt to restart the Premier League, to to bring football back, Project Restart as they're calling it, what do you make of that? How do you reflect on that? The intentions of football and the intentions of the club when they're trying to bring back football in a circumstance with, where there's so many obstacles, you know, health-wise, uh, morally, etc. Et I, th-
3: I think in a way, it's obviously very, very difficult to to even start when we're still battling this. I think that's the, the, the biggest part of it, that this is a global pandemic. This fee is absolutely crazy. Mm. Um, and I think that's obviously a difficult part of it, that for number 1 mental health wise football could be a good for a lot of people whether it's you know playing in front of fans or whether it's behind closed doors I think that is quite important to give people a bit of a distraction I don't think there's many distractions at the moment you go on the BBC every single day the top 10 articles are about coronavirus I think the distraction is kind of needed um myself I've been playing quite a lot of call of duty and that has been a nice distraction from coronavirus and a nice distraction from the current uh, business and you know all the environments that we are dealing with at the moment but as well, like, obviously you guys support teams that made the wrong decision. Like, they made the wrong decision. That's, that's fact. Manchester United didn't make the wrong decision. Manchester United made the correct decision. And they supported the people that work for the football club. That, in a way, has brought me closer to Manchester United and brought me closer to what they stand for as an organization. To the pay, club has had a lot. They of-
2: stand for paying people.
3: No, they stand for supporting their staff in this moment. They stand for not furloughing their staff when a lot of big big, big business has done that. See, term- I, I guess I guess I can test
2: that in a way because I I don't know. I, I also think there's obviously uh, people can judge things differently. I, I congratulate Liverpool for changing their decision, but I don't necessarily link or I don't feel any closer or any further away from them mm. because they made that decision. I just sort of think, oh, you made the wrong decision. But plenty of people have made the wrong decision. I guess within that, it's like Liverpool aren't Liverpool aren't saying we don't care about our staff because they furlough people. Well, but I think they they falsely took advantage of a system. I think Dave is making a a good point in the sense that,
0: like these football clubs, these things that we, as Adam said, Spurs is a part of his identity. With Chris, I assume it's the same thing with Newcastle. For all of us, to a certain extent, it's something that we have it it exists and it allows it's an object a rhetorical object we can say that allows us to supplant memories experiences connotations of things of our lives onto this thing adam has mm-hmm. fond memories going to spurs games having his life become a part of that club in the same way that dave does with manchester united manchester united has done quote unquote the right thing in a sense which has allowed david dave and, and other people to say like this thing that i like has done something that i agree with and therefore that bond to that thing has become a little bit stronger in your case it's not the same
2: well no but but what's interesting for me is uh, i i i guess what people are focusing on is the initial decision with liverpool rather than the final decision and also the reaction to the fans in that sense now obviously they show they're out of step
3: with the fans but I think But they're also the, upset with the world, Lawrence. Furloughing staff in this environment is really bad. Like your business, for example, could go down the shit pan, but at the same time, we're basically giving capitalism a complete free go here. Oh, we're just gonna furlough everyone. So big business, people like VCs that should be taking a hammer in here. VCs make a fuck ton of money when the markets are good. The markets are shit now, they're allowed to furlough their staff. Similar with the stock market, the stock market has completely crashed. Has it changed many companies? Absolutely not. So what is the value of a stock? The price of oil went negative. This is the problem. It's like these little things furlough in and it's part of a bigger picture. And I'm glad that Manchester United didn't do that because that puts them out of that bigger picture that look, you know, some businesses don't get anything. Some businesses get no business aid. They can't apply for anything in terms of where they are right now. They may have lost big contracts like they're fucked basically, but there's no government support yet. Teams in the Premier League, which is one of the most profitable things in this country at the moment, are furloughing staff when they're taking, you know, they're taking a chunk of a billion, two billion quid. Like it's, it's bad. Like it's disgusting from Spurs. It's disgusting from Newcastle. It's disgusting from Liverpool, and it's disgusting from any club that's done that because it's, it's. They should be supportive. They should have a better system in place. They should plan. Like Spencer Owen was on the the uh, the Sunday Show on the BBC, and he said, "We have planned." long-term and we are planned to keep this club going. So this moment hasn't hurt us at all. We've actually used it to strengthen deals with certain people and we're using it to grow. That's the correct way to run a football club. And And he's a guy that we we know that's got no experience at at top business where they're at Liverpool, at at Tottenham. There'll be people there that are taking hundreds of thousands of pounds a year home that have made one hell of a shite decision.
2: I I think I'm not really contesting the decision. Why I'm contesting is the story that's told around that decision where it's things like the reason that Liverpool changed their mind or the reason Spurs changed. I mean, I don't really know about Spurs, but the reason that Liverpool changed their mind was because of public reaction. Yeah, I'm like, okay, well, is that, is that public reaction from a Man City fan? Is that public reaction from Liverpool? Is that general public reaction? Or is it the fact, I, I don't really know that attaching, um, I, I guess what I'm saying is, I, I agree it was a bad decision. But attaching a false narrative to it, that it was down to public narrative or that that somehow the fans had a voice in that, uh, for me, feels a bit disingenuous. For me, it's more uh, I I see it more as those guys thought, shit, we might lose some deals here rather than because we might people might not want to be seen alongside our brand if we're seen as out of step with the public. Well, but so there's saying, a spin
0: in every direction. Like when the whole thing at Arsenal too. Like there they put a there was stories out in the paper about how there were players at Arsenal supposedly refusing to. They worded it in a specific way, which is players at Arsenal refused to take a thirty yeah. percent pay cut, and there were people above them making a shit ton of more money, like multiplicity, multiplicatively yeah. more money, and they 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 weren't taking a pay cut, and that was the narrative that was spun. So I think you're right in saying like. There is a narrative that is constructed, but there's a narrative that goes both ways, too. There's a narrative that and we've seen this systematically, like within the system of capitalism, which is just blame people who are, you know, blame the people who don't have a voice, blame poor people who don't give enough, supposedly.
3: On top of that, you look at the players and how they got absolutely hammered by the press when they were literally trying to come out with the best solution. They take their full wage. The taxation on that is massive. And then they're putting X amount of their salary towards the NHS and the whole charities in general, the whole shebang around that, the whole, you know, this is disgusting. The foot Premier League players haven't, haven't made the decision. haven't done this. haven't done that. And then they come out and they've done something brilliant. It's, it is so reactionary from, from a media base that then goes into that negativity. I think someone that's really come out well from this period is Marcus Rashford. He's done so much brilliant things for the community, but Will we focus on that on the front pages? No, but we should be doing right now. It should be about the good story, not the bad story. And it seems like, as we know, the bad story sells pits, sells papers, it sells clicks, it sells whatever. And it's almost an indictment of the whole whole thing.
2: Yeah, I I mean, I've got to actually admit, I think that it's about the the nature of the bad story. And I think what I guess I got a bit bored of was people doing lazy articles about, um, you know, fans, uh, people go, well, Liverpool and Spurs changed their mind because of this. It's like, we don't know why Liverpool and the Spurs changed their mind. Why don't you report on something you actually know and not just an opinion mm-hmm. piece where you're yes. going, in my opinion, they changed it because the public said this. It's a bit like with what's going on with the Newcastle takeover at the moment or what was going on, what, you know, whatever stage that that is. It's probably a really great uh, case study to look at who controls the club, like who controls what the image of the club is? How do you, how do you, you, when you get bought by a Middle Eastern or whatever you want to call it, consortium, how does that change your identity as a fan? Like Chris has had years of being owned by someone he hates. Uh, I mean, I would imagine you might, you might love Mike Ashley for the the discount he gives you at Sports Direct, but the, 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 the other side with the other side with, with your new owners is now, like, what's your identity? How does your identity change because you've, you've completely the, now the richest club in the world? I'd imagine.
5: Yeah, that's 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 an interesting precipice to be on because it comes with a lot of caveats that we're now also potentially a political tool, a political pawn. Which yeah, I have to be honest, I feel like football in the UK or in in England, especially it kind of has been a bit of a political talking point by the current government at the moment. The Matt Hancock calling out footballers pretty prominently, saying they need to do their bit when it came to pass that actually they had been in discussions really? already to try and work something out. Um, and I think that's when it relates to to Newcastle's takeover, at least that's another instance where when people say to me, you know, politics and football shouldn't be linked, I agree with them in the first instance, but again, the important thing to remember is it—it it is you can't you can't change that now. It's just the way it is, and especially when people talk about the human rights record of of Saudi Arabia and and how do we move forward with that when the British government do arms deals with that country when they welcome them on the front of of 10 Downing Street. What I always think is the other thing that maybe doesn't quite get as much traction is the Northeast as a region has been very chronically underfunded for a long time now and you have this new owner who will be the majority owner alongside Amanda Stavley and the Rubin brothers who already is floating stories whether it's them or someone in the group saying that not only do they want to try and invest in the football club but they want to invest in the local area they want to help the NHS a bit and do and it's very difficult, I think, to then stand and tell people that this is a terrible thing when their lives are going to be significantly made better by the presence of this group. That's where it becomes another political talking point, because it part of the reason that this group seems so appealing is because of the situation that the current government have, have put them in as people and as as a region. So it's. I, I agree with Dave, I think. Yes, Liverpool made a mistake and it's important to commend the clubs that did not make that same mistake. Um, But I think the problem with football clubs in general, and it's what I said before, is they are run as businesses, but they're probably more akin to political parties because you can very rarely get a consensus opinion amongst the group. I, I guarantee you can find a Liverpool fan who thinks Virgil van Dijk is overrated. I don't think he is. Lawrence doesn't think he is. But you can break. probably find one somewhere. <laughs> and and you even... probably find some,
2: isn't <laughs> that like right, shit. Dave? You can
5: probably find some wanker somewhere who <laughs> thinks that he's overrated. Thing... If he was
3: any good, he'd be able to deal with Alvaro Morata, Lawrence. The... And, and the it's a very it's a very good point, with, Dave.
5: With all that is football club fandom, it's not like being a gas engineer where you need to be corgi registered. You don't even have to buy a shirt, you just gotta change your Twitter handle theoretically. It's the <laughs> The, the pre the requirements to become a football fan of any club are so easy and mm. that is a wonderful thing because it's what brings us all together. At the same time that's what makes it so difficult to to police or gain some kind of genuine consistent opinion because you can't really touch the walls and the ceiling on it because it's just this giant cloud Twitter,
2: of, it, of there's Twitter accounts don't really represent Kristen's feeling on it, which is similar to when you know I'd speak about man City. Uh, there were plenty of Man City fans who go, "Yeah, we're not particularly happy with our owners," but then there were also plenty of Man City fans who just went, "Shut up! You're just jealous because we've got success." And it's like, "Yeah, we're criticising the success that you've had." Like it, it, it's very easy maybe not to debate these things when it's your club. Even like I'm contesting Liverpool's decision or whatever, mm. or maybe the portrayal of it. Um, it's more, I guess, it's more in football. There is also a bit of. Um, it's not toxic masculinity, but there is a bit of, you made your decision, now that's your identity. Or it's like, you've lost, that's you. And I, that happened a lot on Twitter on that day where it was like, hmm. Liverpool made the wrong decision. You're all bad guys now. And it's like, oh, right, okay, right. Well, wh- wh- what are you supposed to do with that? What are you supposed? To, how are you supposed to rationalize that? Because again, it didn't feel that way.
4: I, I just think the situation is so interesting because it is, to use the most overused word and lust. last six months <laughs> unprecedented but it is unlike anything that we've ever seen Delightful. and to see the reaction of football i feel more distant from football than ever like my lack of
0: investment and connection with the game is just
4: it's not well, non-existent isn't that, when it game comes back, but though, isn't it,
0: that a part of it too like like with this whole thing i mean this obviously this has put a stop to football and that's kind of what has brought all of us together all this interesting peoples um together on on the internet but you know it's do we even? The point that Chris makes there, I think, is a, is a prescient one in the sense that there are, it's so clearly, and this has been talked about sort of ad nauseum, but my friend John McKenzie wrote an interesting piece about the Newcastle takeover in the sense that, like, it is just another case of sports watching. And we've seen it a million times over. We've seen it with PSG. We've seen it with Manchester City. And it's something that it, it moves further and further away from what football clubs originally were, which is something that was just a collection of people from a specific area represented through sport and through, you know, community work, through charity work, through positives that happen to the people who it most closely affects, at least in, in the immediacy, they're able to sort of justify their existence, but it puts the fans in an interesting position. And so we kind of have to say after this unprecedented black swan event type situation has put the world as a whole, to halt do we want football back as it was you know it's fantastic to have these super teams that have the best players in the world all in the same region or whatever but at the same time do we want a system that alienates us from the things that we love and puts us in you know it's not even it's not as bad to us to be put in a difficult ethical or moral position but it does hurt people on the other end of the world on the other end of the equation when hmm. when these kind of systems are able to sort of pr themselves into doing more harm to the world so do we want that as a thing i I think that's a question that we kind of have to ask ourselves the quality of football will undoubtedly undoubtedly take a turn for the worst if we go away from a system of like open free market capitalism in in football Hmm. but is is that worth you know the human suffering that we deal with on a on a day-to-day basis will it go down
2: why, why would it get worse? What do you think? Because I mean, I mean be you, as like
0: Manchester City, for example, like they, I think f- Forbes did a, a number of articles on them. Like they have had their, across all sports, their team has had the best played, paid players on it for a number of years because that's what they've been able to afford. And that's what, like, we look at football, it, uh, to me, it's almost like representative of what the modern society is. We look at it as this thing where like, We tell ourselves we can pull ourselves up from our bootstraps and anybody can accomplish anything and ignore all the other factors that exist. You know, the same five teams win the league every single year. And occasionally, because a Leicester exists, because something else exists, we tell ourselves that the the system of openness and anyone can do everything works when that isn't what's historically true. And it's, again, that divide is deepening because of the monetary disparity that exists within society. So I think these teams are able to afford a concentration of power, which is football players because of the system that exists. And when you get rid of that, you know, you don't, you, you can convince players to say, or maybe they want to stay for personal reasons, or, you know, you can't just convince someone by paying them the most amount of money to go somewhere else. So I think it would, the quality of football would decrease because you don't have a concentration of extremely talented football players and resources in one area. Um, But I think it would be, you know, ethically justifiable to support to support football
2: I guess that's there's an interesting just to finish on that there is an interesting point to make there then that when talent maybe it it could lead to a spread out of talent where therefore for instance uh, I don't know when a really great player goes to a specific team uh, I'm trying to think of an example of it now but you know when Thierry Henry was at Arsenal I felt like other players looked at him and became better players I wonder if the the mean or the median, whatever you want to call it, footballer becomes better, but maybe we don't reach. This yeah. I
0: mean, we can't look at better overall. in a linear sense, but yeah, it's, yeah. it won't be the same.
4: What, 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 yeah. what do you think Dave in the sort of immediate future? Because this is the,
0: Dave's just week. sent us an Alan Brazil tweet.
3: Yeah. Before we move <laughs> yeah. on guys, on. I haven't watched it yet. <laughs> Everyone get it, get it on. Right. It looks absolutely coconut crazy. <laughs> Dave, right. what's
2: coconut crazy, Dave?
3: Uh, Alan Brazil.
2: This is coconut. Oh my God, this is coconut crazy. It's just
4: Alan Brazil and Ray Parler
5: on the piss. Alan Brazil, he's like, fucking... biologically just shouldn't be alive. Why does Alan Brazil look like his skin hurts? <laughs> why did,
4: why does Alan like Brazil look burst. like he's
5: about to pop? Yeah.
4: It's <laughs> just him in a cardboard yeah. cutout of uh, Ray Parler.
2: So you know, the funny thing is, that's not much different in charisma to the real Ray father. Ray, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um... Ray, Ray, what are you doing here? Oh, you're all classic, Ray, just standing there saying nothing important.
1: <laughs> Selling a little or a lot?
4: All right, mate. I was going to say, Dave, is taking take all that into account, just like that, in the immediate future, crazy. taking, <laughs> taking I'm a cardboard crazy, Ray Parler into account. H- how do you feel about the Premier League coming back? Because I'm, I think I'm in the minority of like, I, I don't feel it's justifiable the Premier League coming back because in the very simplest terms, you're risking lives. I don't think it's justifiable. There's a lot of hurdles, obviously,
3: logistically, but what's your thoughts on the potential return? Well, it shouldn't come back in terms of health, and it should be cancelled. But they can't do that because they're going to get sued. They're canceled in a they're in a position just, they're they're in an unplayable ballers. position. They can't do anything. They literally can't do anything. So you, if they the, the hands are tied, the they have off, to. They have to play it. They have to there's not there's nothing they can do. That they, they literally are forced into a position where they have to finish this season because of the what financial if the Players implications? Just don't do it. Yeah, they're going to get sued. If the That's play- the problem. But, they- but what
2: if the players don't? The do
3: players it? will get their players will get sued. Then they're not fulfilling their contract.
2: I suppose if they're not fulfilling their contract, but there is, I mean, who is the person then that can deem whether it is, is it literally only down to the government then? So if the government say it's okay to play and then the players don't play. So what if the government were lobbied by the players to
3: not say it's safe to play? They just, uh, uh, maybe that would work. But at the same time, you you believe that this current government is going to listen to football players (laughs) when they want, you know, GDP in the country and they want money to come in.
2: Well, I guess that the government, the, you know, the, the, the worst thing would be if you lose all GDP because your players don't play and then they get sued by whoever's going to sue them and then they can't play anyway. So it's sort of like, the, the I suppose the, the power I think does lay with the players more than we know. But it probably won't play out that way because they'll be they'll no, the, have pa- it, the power. The
0: power lies with them if it's if it's across the board, if it's universal, if there's a sense Correct. of solidarity. But if you know twenty, if two teams decide they're going to play, then that gives leverage to the other system of power that exists. So every player would have to say, "I'm not fucking playing."
2: Yeah. Well, I, I guess I guess the thing is, but once one player says, "I'm not playing," it makes it much easier for other players to oh, say, "I'm yeah. not playing either." I mean, the, the problem is that is part of the issue right now. The position the government is putting these people in is not that the Premier League might be, you know, putting a bit of pressure on them. Maybe some of their teams are putting the pressure on them to fulfill the deals and stuff like that. And because they don't want to get sued. But this is the position the government has put the players in where yeah. they have to make their own case. And
3: professional I mean, maybe sport the is, allowed to, is allowed. They're allowed to train. They're allowed to play from the 1st of June. The Premier League will restart on the 12th of June. What's just going to happen? Like, mm. that's it. It's, it's I, do, do you know the
2: other thing? Do you, do you know the thing that I think a lot of people um, for me it the players will remain protected, right? We know that these are multi-million pound assets that will be protected. And should they get sick, will probably be isolated straight away and put into the best private healthcare, be monitored constantly, all those kind of things. Well, the... Now, someone might have a rare underlying heart condition, like like happened with who is the person who collapsed from a heart condition on the pitch? Um Fabrice Maramba. Expert. Yeah, Maramba. Now, Moamba had an underlying health condition, which meant, which no one had tracked, right? And so, you know, he could have died in that situation. He was very close to dying. We might find that there are players with underlying health conditions in this. And if they get sick, they could die. And that's part of it that I think a lot of people aren't looking at. The statistics and the graphs today that came out went most people who died were over 85. The second most people who died were 45, 65. What you're not taking into account there, that the people who died under a certain level probably did have pre-existing health conditions. doesn't mean they are any more right to die or less right to die. The point is that within that group of football players, the likelihood is there will be someone there who is more vulnerable to coronavirus than other people and could die. And if one football player dies, that's a problem. Add on to that the fact that it's not actually only the players that are the concerns then, But if you are having a football match, you've got people gathering. You've got people gathering to watch it. You've got people gathering who want to go out with their mates. You've got people who want to go into a pub. Now, if they don't go to an open pub, they might go to a lockdown. They might go to a secret drinking session. All these different things. And it goes out and out and out and out. I'm going to probably be doing the kickoff if we end up doing that. Oh, Dave's... For some weird reason over the disco.
3: I'm but doing the alarm, Lawrence. We got an and issue, boys. <laughs> That's <laughs> coconut <laughs> crazy, Dave.
2: And and then to add on to that, right? You you then have it that I, I could be doing things like the kickoff where we can't enforce social distancing because the studio is not big enough. So what are we what are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to work in an environment where I go, Brian, stand two meters away. Hold on, Lawrence, stand two meters away. No, no,
3: legit masks seriously not, but not but, not
2: but, even
0: but even if you could enforce social distancing at the kickoff or something like that what people aren't also taking into account i think this is kind of the general point that lawrence is on is that like there are things that you are doing that will require other people to put themselves at risk like let's say you right. order some food or something like that or you order a pizza mm. there are people in less get me a milkshake <laughs> exactly a milkshake that will require other people who don't have the privilege of essentially as much money to not expose themselves to risk. No, Rory, you can't have
3: more sushi. (laughs)
0: That's kind of the thing is that like there is a specific privilege (laughs) that we're, that we have to realize that we have when we have the ability to, I've had the ability, I've been fortunate enough to stay home during most of the quarantine. There are people that are not in that situation that have had Mm -hmm. to go to work, that have had to expose themselves. And when you, you know, when you look at all these numbers and say like, oh, well, this many people died, but, but they had this, it's still a death. If someone was a exactly. day away from death, it's still a death. And that's a horrible thing. So for the Premier League to go ahead and like restart and create a motivation for people to be put at risk, that's ultimately what she should be put um, in front of everything is the, the capacity for people to die.
2: Huh? The opposite side, though, Adam, is that without uh, the Premier League, without money restarting the economy, there will be even more people in a desperate position even more people in positions where where they they could potentially this this is exactly
4: because I think that Nico makes a really good point there's there's so many different sort of extrapolations and so many factors of of infection and all these variables that come into play by bringing the premier league back but Chris as Dave sort of mentioned at the top of this this conversation the financial imperative is so so prescient the the chief executive of the premier league Richard Masters says that the top flight faces a one billion pound loss if the season isn't completed, there's talk today about potentially Premier League clubs having to pay back 350 million to international broadcasters because the, the product's different. Therefore, they're entitled to a refund. The losses and the financial hemorrhaging that may be a result of not completing the season is so huge that to the Premier League and to football in general, it's almost it, 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 they can't contemplate not bringing it back. How, how do we square that or how? Can we square that with the very real health imperatives that that Nico talks about?
5: Um, In simple terms, you can't, because you can't put a price on life like that. Mm. I think what it it serves to highlight is the dangerous relationship that the Premier League has with those TV rights. Um, Because at this point, it's not really about anything other than that. That is the, the, the most important issue in terms of the future of the Premier League right now. Um, in terms of actually going back, I, I think you're going to have such a difficulty in the sense that, I know they've talked about doing a points per game and, and all of these different ways. You're never going to get someone happy to go down at the end of this season, hypothetically. I think, I think we can all agree that the, the title is, it was pretty much done anyway, not mathematically, but common sense applied. Come on, Chris,
2: don't be like that. I mean, I guess that's that's part of it, isn't it? Where people go, there's still a chance. But the, the problem is, if it was between Liverpool and another team, the headlines would be, should we let these guys battle it out? That is not the headline. The headline is actually, do we award one of the best Premier League, one of the best, what, 10 Premier League, five Premier League teams of all time, the Premier League title this season? It's not, should we let Man City and Liverpool battle it out? It's, should we let <laughs> Liverpool play to claim that?
5: Well, the other thing it, as well is, is that if you give them that title, I, I don't know if it changes a great deal in the next year or two. Whereas if you relegate, I'm just going to pick names, Aston Villa, Bournemouth, they're, they're down in the championship. They suddenly have to adapt their financial approach. They've lost yeah. out on money. There's also an element of of personal responsibility here, which is, and and I've used the example of Villa recently, they're going to blame this situation and say, oh, well, we, we could have stayed up in those nine games. And yet there's a fair case to say that, that I, I won't argue otherwise. The trouble is you're not going to have anyone, I think, handle this with much grace. I think everyone is, perhaps understandably, because of personal vested interest, attack it with, this isn't fair, this isn't fair. And And that's the problem, is that I think the you, easier option you, would be just to call it off, but that's not Adam, obviously going to happen.
2: Adam, this is part of the problem: is a lot of people are saying things like, um, you know, there's too many variables that we can't really change. Mm-hmm. For instance, say Liverpool do want to try and win the league, right? Or a team does want to try and let's let's take let's not do Liverpool trying to win the league because that takes, in theory, that takes one win and that would mean they're champions, right? Never going to happen. It's never (laughs) going to happen. Absolutely fine. You could also, I mean, there is also the outside chance here that Man City with their massive amount of resource could go to all the players. Look, we're going to keep you and your families within a bubble somewhere that we can build quite easily. And, you know, we will keep you all safe. You'll be able to live with your families and live in a bubble for that amount of time. And whatever happens, if anyone got sick, instant isolation, things like that. The people with more resource will inevitably be better at keeping the virus weight, or you'd hope so, right? The other side is, what happens if tomorrow uh, a star player for one of the three teams that is in the relegation zone gets it? And that guy is out for two weeks and he can't train with the team. He can't really have communication because he's sick. But everyone else has to train. Mm. No one off any other team gets sick. And then we go back and we go, Aston Villa, you now have to play a team because you know, this is the schedule. Can we go back and go, well, you're missing? They, they go, well, you know, Pepe Reina, Jack Grealish, and someone else are out. Not because they've got it, but because they had symptoms and we had to isolate them for two weeks or however long. They couldn't train. They couldn't go near anyone else. Is that fair? Is that a level playing field? That's that you've probably, then just got illness? Got a hangover <laughs> yes. on you, you, you get what I'm saying How, though. If, if you've got, if it's not even that the players have to get it at this point. It's that if they have symptoms, they have to be isolated. And that is unfair in preparing for a football match.
1: Yeah,
4: I mean, how, how do you, I mean, yeah, to go, to go beyond the sort of the moral and the health um, questions, the sporting integrity question, Dave, is another one that seems impossible to answer. As Lawrence says, you're sort of creating this situation where I think it was the Waffle chairman who said it's, it's kind of a distorted nine game mini league because of all these conditions that we've got. Who knows what's going to happen with the players and the hurdles there in terms of testing and who tests positive, etc. But even this factor of the neutral venues, the the police are insistent that there needs to be eight to ten neutral grounds that are the Premier League venues to stop any possibility of fans congregating.
2: Um, how... Is, that, is that realistic either is, is that a stupid thing to say there That's are it's... manchester united fans all over the i mean you know if the neutral <laughs> like, ground for yeah. manchester united is in kent it's going to help the fans get there but we all know that yeah
4: this is what i mean even on a on a sporting integrity level dave how, how does how does this make sense
3: well it doesn't because they're now bringing in five subs and they're also saying we might play shorter games <laughs> and the games are going to be played five times a week it's not the same competition and that's the problem that we, we've played. We've played how many? Twenty nine games of the Premier League, or whatever it is. Twenty eight games. Twenty nine. Twenty
2: nine, and Liverpool uh, were that close to winning the league. And Dave, then, that must be yeah, unprecedented.
3: Unprecedented, Lawrence. That's but the, the, word the we've same been using point. quite is, some time, Dave. Like what? Like so? They're going from playing a season with three subs to playing five five subs. Same point about Lawrence made about getting coronavirus. What about if this team can't get up to a physical standard in this short period of time? What happens if their five centre halves get hamstring injuries? In the first game, and they're literally playing Pepe Reina at centre half. Like that could happen. <laughs> to be fair, it's not the do same. A
2: job. I think the the other side. I think Pepe Reina is a bad example for that because he'd actually be an incredible centre half. He'd be like a, <laughs> a kind of a big a, Pepe. A, a, no, he'd be like the Gary
3: Medine, or
2: was it Gary Medine?
3: Gary Medell. Gary, Gary, Gary Medell. <laughs> yeah. Gary Medine. was a centre forward for Crystal for Sh- Crystal Sheffield Wednesday. I think. Oh, Crystal, Crystal Wednesday. Wednesday, Dave.
2: Oh, <laughs> I guess <laughs> there's, there's a few. Um, the uh, the other the other side is uh, I think people will uh, naturally want to see a very I think what we're expecting is the players are going to step back out and be just as uh, fast yeah they're extremely out and, of shape <laughs> exactly not Bruno <laughs> Fernandez <laughs>
4: but this is this is the thing so I come to you, so like
0: they talk about it all the time you can't even get match fit you can't get match fit without training. playing matches
2: you, yeah. ha- you have to play games this, so football it, manager shows that boltwood if you're if your little circles <laughs> <yeah>. aren't full <laughs> you're you not on up to the standard you're not matching. but it fit. is
4: like obviously the more you think about it and the, the more you kind of delve into the details the more ludicrous the sort of it becomes because these nine games are going to be so different The the sporting integrity question there's no there's no way you can you can thread that needle it's not the same so if you were to take it the other way miko if we just went Okay, we're going to not resume the league. We're going to cancel this season as is. Liverpool aren't champions. Sorry, Lawrence. Where do you think that could possibly leave us? What sort of state could the Premier League be in if that is the case?
0: It's I don't know. It's 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 almost impossible to say because you know there's so many things you know how do you how do you deal that I think probably the toughest thing like Lawrence said like Liverpool are x amount of points ahead we kind of knew that they were gonna this is this was more of a coronation run in than anything else um but the difficulty is the relegation teams and like we've talked about the financial implications of all these clubs existing and like a lot of this is also down to like people saying if there's no football then a lot of clubs will fold and that isn't necessarily clubs at the top but also Clubs that you know don't pay their players that much because they can't because then they're in the lower divisions and how the how do they deal with their players' wages and how do they do that and how do they exist without football so again, I think it comes back to the question that football has its has tied itself to this like global behemoth of that is global capitalism right like it is this huge money-making machine and you know Dave talked about the fact that they have to play because it's a contract that they've made with the broadcasters and that's a financial responsibility that they have to fulfill or or they face legal action and the legal action is sort of um, doesn't really care about the, the circumstances that be and I'm sure there are no clauses written into it to uh, account for a global pandemic but that's the thing is that is this the event that's Forcibly, I I don't know how it exactly looks, but forcibly sort of removes football from that equation that takes it away because, you know, I have friends that work for AC Milan and sort of the analyst department and they've talked to their bosses and they've said like, the football is going to be really different because the advertising numbers aren't there. the The means that once existed were not were no longer there anymore. The money that existed is no longer there anymore because of the disappearance of football for just this quick period of time. You know, so many financial equations and institutions relied on the fact that there was this constant um, almost gross exchange of money um, being made in football. So it looks extremely different, no matter how long it takes to come back. I think that's the thing we're not really getting here is that even if we do make the right decisions and the Premier League does not resume in, in the middle of the summer and whatever decisions are made with this season or whatever, and we come back when it's safe, football
2: and everything else is inextricably changed. It, it just will be. And I think to add to that, uh, Adam, I think what part of the question is people are going, how can we get football back up and running like it was before? I don't think that is the question we should be asking. I think the initial question should be how can we tentatively, almost, um, you know, improve soft it for test the better. Test. Yeah, not only approve it for the better, but soft test elements of it. You know, like a soft launch of a. You know, if you when you launch a new hotel, you have a soft launch. Essentially, the Bundesliga are kind of doing that, um, for everyone else. But then that is in Germany, an incredibly. A well-run, efficient country where all the cars (laughs) never break down. Whereas, if you but we've already
0: seen the cases there start to go up because of this, because of the re-emergence of football. So it's one of those things that I think it's one of the you know I think we were all all sort of asking each other at the beginning of the pod like where have we been, what have we been doing, how have we been coping, and it's like we have looked to distract ourselves from the absence of things. Um, And this maybe is a more abstract question that I'm going to ask the listeners of the podcast. But I think if any good can be brought from this thing, it's like we have stopped moving. And a lot of our a lot of our identity as people in like the modern world is the fact that we never stop moving. And so this has been an opportunity for people to say, what am I doing? Like, what am I actually doing? And, And that is a sort of an existential question for everyone and everything. But it's interesting specifically how it pertains to football, I think. Dave, what are you doing? <laughs> he's doing his laundry and making us wait. God knows, Lawrence. <laughs> what, what,
4: what do you make? What do you make there, though, Dave? Because it's a great point that Nico makes, and when you think about it in terms of football, football isn't obviously stopping and thinking about what it's doing in a larger sense. I worry that. A lot of wrong lessons are going to be learned, and a lot of things are going to be put in place that makes football for the worse. Like one of the things I can see happening is football clubs folding potentially, and this European Super League becoming a reality in the next couple of years because it's the only viable option for these clubs to try and reclaim or claw back some of those those revenues they've lost, etc. Like it's impossible to say obviously how it's gonna gonna play out, but if you if, if you're Richard Masters, you're the chief executive of the Premier League. Like, what do you do in this impossible situation?
3: But I think in a way, it's not what Richard does. It's about what we do, I think. I think that's the thing. I think we're old enough now to make a difference in these types of things. And if we're passionate about said industry, then that's kind of the game that we've had such joy from this sport where 22 dudes kick a thing through a hole um so it's now kind of on us are we passionate about this maybe oh, are we, passionate are we still about talking
5: about football politics <laughs> yeah. just to be clear yeah Dave's got just, the other window just to be
2: clear open. Dave I know you got that VPN for Italy but there's no need to keep talking oh, about right? it oh, when you say when you say no that, I'm okay. making a
3: point I'm making an absolute yeah. point here that like if you give a shit about Absolutely. football you'll go and do something about it if you give a shit about politics you will change the way you vote or you'll go into politics and do something. And I think that's where we've got to do something now as as people, as, as football fans, let's take some bloody goddamn responsibility because we haven't taken any how, responsibility how do you, so how far. Do you do, how, how are you...
2: Get are you, into the system. As, now, now, come on, now come on, Dave. But no,
5: but I'm, I'm, hang on, hang on. Hang on, hang
2: on. Do you have any examples
5: to hand that you could think of that's that what could I'm be influential?
3: Yeah, go, go and get a job with the Premier League. I would love to.
2: Dave, 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 like,
0: no, no, no. I, I think, no, come on. I think Dave makes again, an excellent again, point in the sense that Dave like I was listening. A point, there was, there was a, there was a, there was a, a woman how? who, who, who wrote a, a, I God, I forget the name of the book, but she essentially was talking about how the majority of the changes that happened um, from a progressive uh, legislature t- standpoint in this country, economically, that, that had a lot of good for a lot of people in the United States happened when the when the great depression happened when the dust bowl was happening when people were in serious dire economic straits and dave makes a great point in the sense that this is a moment and we don't necessarily we don't always need to have the direct answers like we're asking like give yeah, specific yeah. examples of what you might do but this is a moment i think dave is right that we are talking about action instead of we have enjoyed we have had the pleasure the privilege whatever you want to call it of enjoying football from a removed perspective we get to interact with it we've all cultivated some amalgamation of a career around this this thing um but now that it's in peril and it doesn't exist as it once did and it will no longer exist as it once did do we have the opportunity to change it for the better and it's completely pliable adam's right in saying a european super league could arise and that would be fucking horrible that would be terrible A, a, a well, version of football, it, sure. exactly. That's my biggest problem with it. Um, but a version of football could arise that is a whore, way worse than than the one we had. But there's also a distinct possibility for one that is way better than the one we had. And I think that's the kind of you know bright horizon that we can look for in in
2: in action.
0: And I think Dave's right I, in that I, sense.
2: I don't think that a European Super League would be the worst thing in the world. I, I do think it would because definitely Because Liverpool would up. be in it, right? I mean, I mean, yeah, although, I've, I, obviously, I think Liverpool will be in it. I, I think, uh, weirdly, actually, there would only be two teams represented on this podcast that wouldn't get in it because they're so small-time. Um, it, and that would Spurs, be Man City. Newcastle. At, Spurs, and, Spurs and Man City, right? Whereas Man City, uh, obviously, you know, they're old news now. Newcastle are the new big boys in town. You guys can step aside. <laughs> Newcastle, the black and white. Of Pre- anyway, my point is really, uh, I think Lots at some point, see, the, the, the problem is actually while we're talking about these practical things, David, it's all well and good us saying, let's go and get a job with the Premier League. But it's like, well, they have to have jobs in order for us to apply. We can't just sort of go to the Premier League offices and go,
3: yeah, but that, uh, that's, that's 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 one. E- you're you're using a very anecdotal thing. I've said one example. The whole point is, we go and work within football as an industry, and we go and change so something. Do, or, do you mean
2: gra- you, Yeah, you mean grassroots football. You mean no, coaching. no, you just you work always, in,
3: You work, if you want to make a change in football, <laughs> you
2: get inside the football.
3: <laughs> what? <laughs> To, like, what,
2: Dave, I don't my, I don't know what you're I don't quite I know what Dave you're has saying. Dave's making
0: an excellent point, and we t- t- an excellent point but I'm the asking piss I'm asking,
2: taking the piss out of him. I'm asking for a practical side for this because I know that people. I know there'd be a go, lot of people. Go and get a, go, a job
3: with Liverpool, Lawrence, right? In the media department. Start right. in the media Creative department. Creative director. In in for Liverpool and get right, to a point's this isn't you, a good look where you can have a vote about issues such as furloughing by being the head of media at Liverpool.
2: Here's the thing, though, Dave. I think you are, whilst you're making a good point, I think by proxy, I should already have a say. They've just disappeared from the I should already I should have a there.
0: job at Liverpool. <laughs> yeah. by,
2: but by proxy, should I should already, already have a say. As like, That's what I sort of felt a bit annoyed by. <laughs> did they by not when see Liber-
0: Football Daily Weekly? I mean, come uh-huh. on.
2: <laughs> when <laughs> Liverpool did come out with that decision, I felt a bit like, well, hold on a minute. I subscribe to a newsletter. I have regular communications from the club. Which market things to me why was i not given an email where it was like hey we are thinking of doing this like there's going to be a national well but if available. you so
3: if, if you look I, at some you're, of you're the demanding things... that from the outside lawrence you're not never going to get that from the outside unless but, there is a big dave, move when you in say, that
2: what, but but dave when you say from the outside i am very much within the bubble of football within <laughs> the uk i do the biggest like i'm part of the biggest football live stream online I have a regular He's called
0: out director. Robbie from AFTV. He has named yeah. him in a diss track. What else what do you I, want the man to do?
2: But this is what I'm saying, though, is like I am I am not saying I'm like I'm not sitting on Sunday Sunday social or whatever the show is. That doesn't mean I don't I don't have a say. what I'm saying is I'm not necessarily a huge voice, but I am still part of that what I believe should be heard. And I think anyone should be heard with that. It's just the, the problem was that. We seem to think it's a bit like that, a bit like the example that Adam gave earlier, where it was like, if we, or maybe it was Nico, if we can just pull ourselves up by our bootstraps, then we'll all get to number one. And it's a similar attitude that you're applying to football now. Where it's like, well, if you're not involved, you don't really deserve a say. No, that's not but- what I'm
3: saying. You're getting the complete wrong stick of what I'm saying. I'm saying is that you changing a PLC. Most of the clubs are PLCs. Most of the clubs are big business. They do not give a, you know, in the in the grand scheme of things, they don't really really care what the fans say. They make decisions internally. To affect decision making for a football club, one would have to do it internally. To make to change decision making in the Premier League, one would have to do that internally.
2: And I understand that because really, you know there's so, you're, so you're there's so much horse shit
3: online that like your voice is brilliant. Your opinions on this Liverpool stuff is brilliant. Right, so but there's so much horse shit around it that it's quite difficult for you to hear that. Yes, you're obviously a big voice, but there's so much other shit that comes around it that it's difficult for that one voice to pull forward and go bang, this is going to make, an, uh, make a difference at board level. He this is the Rory thing, it's business. Yeah, That's the structure.
4: Is the onus, though, is the responsibility really on me? Does that not take away from the people who are in power and are making the decisions? It's their responsibility now to make these decisions the well, right. Yeah.
3: But aren't they already making fucking absolute dreadful decisions? Potentially. They're Matt, making the decisions. Matt Hancock, is he going to continue to be Minister of Health after all this shit washes over? I hope Because that would be ridiculous. (laughs) What? That would honestly be ridiculous because there's accountability here. People have died. There's accountability in in, in government. There's accountability in sport at the same time. You know, the decision making the mental health issue that Lawrence has suffered from Liverpool making that furlough decision first and then resurrecting that and obviously going the right way, like that is costing Lawrence sleep. Uh, Yeah. There's accountability there. Who's. Who stands up? traumatized. I am dramatized. <laughs> who stands up from the Premier League and says, "Right guys, we're going to come back into football on this day." Nobody it gets leaked out through Gareth Neville, who says the Premier League don't want to put anyone above their parapet. Stop being so goddamn weak. If you've I, made I do that decision, that... fucking stand up and say, "I've made I... that fucking decision." It's as simple I do think that's that part it's of so, it. That... So, so weak.
2: Deliberately, there is a bit of a facelessness nature to the Premier League, which I, I do think is a problem because when you look globally at other sports, if you look at the NBA, you've got Adam Silver. If you look at NFL, I don't remember the guy's name right now, but owners are very prevalent. Roger Goodell, yeah. There are very prominent, uh, you know, even in the NBA, there are prominent owners. You see this in New York where um, the owner, who again, uh, the, the Knicks, who... Uh, who name escapes me again, but then you've got people who uh, own the Dallas, James Dolan, thank you, Kristen. Uh, Then you've got the guy, uh, Mark Cuban, who owns the Dallas Mavericks. Then you've got, you know, you've got very prominent owners who almost feel publicly accountable for these things and can be that, you know, almost the the president or whatever you want to call it, the, the equivalent of the prime minister for that. Scudamore, to some extent, was that, but I think Scudamore was untouchable. Uh, I also remember uh, going to a public event for the Premier League and he basically made a joke along the lines of, well, we own it all. So what difference does it make if you guys don't agree with us? And I just remember thinking in that press conference, like, you're joking about that, but there's a hint of truth in this that you guys think that you've got the upper hand and you'll do whatever you want with it.
3: That's the, ho- and that's the whole thing. So the but, whole encapsulation of it is the only way that you'd actually break these fucking idiots is if you're actually in there <laughs> with them, sitting down and discussing these things in a professional is sense. Is it not? Or is and there I not? Get,
2: and I get that, Dave. But through, I think uh, I've had jobs and job experience in recent years where I real where I went in there, I think with the best of intentions, and then over time you end up getting sucked into it a political in thing the or something else happens. Or no, but you get what I'm saying. You end up getting sucked into a political side of it. And you lose sight of what really can happen because you're thinking, well, I need to keep my wages. I need to do this. I need to do that. And you end up ultimately compromising. Sometimes it is better to be on the periphery looking in in a way that we've been enabled through this pandemic to change your perspective and to go, actually, the power shouldn't lie solely with the Premier League. It should be dispersed out. It should be a more equal side of things. I don't know if that'll
3: happen. But Again, it's like, how would you start that? That's the problem. Is that idea is a great idea, but you don't start that without a decision being made, a vote being taken. Is there a tangible that's way? That's of... the that's the problem that that we can't as a collective do anything right now.
4: I is there a tangible way that that people can show their people can show their reaction to this whole situation in a real way? For example, I'm I'm not going to renew my season ticket at Spurs if and when that opportunity arises. Not going to happen. Can I take not it off your hands not entry. Like okay. Well, you might want to, but I'm not interested in doing that anymore. I'm not interested in going to the games. I'm not interested in giving the club money. I'm interested to see if and how that is amplified, and if that is a more widespread feeling as this situation develops. Because I feel like it is going to, if it does go ahead, I feel like it's going to be a bit of a disaster. I think there's going to be so many right. hurdles and issues that come up, and people's health is going to be put at risk in a really stark way that I think may exacerbate these feelings. I'm projecting I, obviously I my own the... perception in that.
2: Then I guess, I guess, Adam, can I ask, I guess to play devil's advocate in this, because I think we've all advocated here that safety is the ultimate um, you know, goal. We've laid that out as sort of a North Star. At some point, in order to come beyond this, there is going to have to be an element of risk taken because it doesn't look like the virus is going to go just completely and like you know life has does carry elements of risk with it are we being very careful in a society where we are quite can be sometimes molly coddling sometimes can be a bit too careful with things because people don't want to get sued or they don't want to be um you know portrayed in a negative light because they're worried about the pr they're worried about all these kind of things you know there in many ways uh, you know when you watch the michael jordan documentary the last dance for some weird reason we romanticize his decisions now to be a complete asshole to his team and his and those people around him
0: because it was in service yeah. of something great supposedly greater Correct. and because it were like that's really interesting point you bring up because it's it's something that if anybody else who wasn't a six-time nba champion did we would not excuse that behavior Call we, we awesome, tell that yeah. we tell that person to go to therapy or or, or something else like that but yeah. because it was in service of something greater i think that's kind of the point that you're getting to with the general idea of safety like at what point is is it safe and i think that's that's where we have to fall back and look at people who understand how to interpret data, and that's a specific uh, difficult Dave. point in this country. Yeah, Dave Dave uh, is is one of those people, but um, uh, that's a difficult point to kind of uh, broach in Rich. this country specifically yeah. because it's something that. There are numbers out there and numbers can paint any variety of stories, but there are decisions that have been made or decisions that have been justified by um, specific interpretations of the data that aren't necessarily indicative. And so that's something we have to be also wary of is that, you know, the U.S., I'm speaking in regards to mine and Chris's situation, is has been terrible at testing. And they've claimed, okay, well, since we have this amount of people that have gotten sick and whatever, then we shouldn't really, uh, you know, we we should be able to reopen. But that's simply because there hasn't been adequate number of testing. So that's another factor that goes into is that we can't just say, we can't just look at certain interpretations of the data to justify an approach. We have to have someone who is good at doing that.
2: I guess them, it also feels like the conversation is almost too concentrated around this for me and is is too much in one place. So I'm hearing too much from, uh, and I say this with all affection, Miguel Delaney, people like this, people who are... Uh, <laughs> Miguel. The very, that people are at the top of uh, media organizations or places where you might call them tastemakers. You might call them an, an editor, all these kind of things. You might
0: call them assholes. I
2: don't know. I, I, I picked that out as a specific... I thought that might... Excite you, but what I mean is you're <laughs> hearing a lot from people, and I, Miguel's, Miguel's always been very nice to me he's always been very pleasant when he's around me, but I understand same pleasant same to here. on the podcast <laughs> um, it, it, it's uh, I, I guess what I'm saying is that the conversation feels too concentrated right now, and I guess I see the same on YouTube where I've mentioned coronavirus a couple of times and people have gone where, why are you what you're saying we should put ourselves all in danger. Not really, but I think there should be a conversation, and we should be exploring as many different avenues as we can. Mm. Not going, uh, not not necessarily saying we'll do any of them, but saying how can we practically and from every different angle be looking at this? Because at the moment, the conversation seems very stifled by people who want to reduce the risk of how they look rather than the risk of actually what will happen. So the conversation, even from our own prime minister, was stifled because. He didn't make a speech that was about inspiring the nation, that was about bringing people together. He made an arse-covering speech, which basically just went, well, it's not my fault if something bad happens. It's all your fault. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's someone else's fault. It was about passing Mm. the buck. It's about the getting rid of the responsibility and that for me a it's not a position of leadership that someone's in so it's not particularly good leadership in the first place and that's something we've also experienced in the states but that's the same for the premier league it's the same for sport in general in the uk
3: that's it we need better leaders and that was my uh, that my initial point is Mm -hmm. that we are leaders and can we make a difference us as not just us as five people us as yeah a group as the we listeners. Are leaders of we are, are leaders. <laughs> are, we are leaders. Can we now we make a point? Because hole. we're seeing an absolute arse handling of a situation. Terrible <laughs> communication. <laughs> idiots in charge. <laughs> just bums in the face. <laughs> and it's one of those things where you think, fuck, Jack and I could have done a fucking better job. And I haven't been in politics for 20 years. What, you? What? what pff, I could fucking do a better fucking speech than Promise fucking Matt Hancock. Right. I'll tell it up for free. Mm.
2: It's like someone throwing a chair in the room.
3: Be able to deliver some better goddamn statistics than that guy.
2: I do yeah, think that's part of it. I, I don't think Pretty Patel is particularly good with numbers. Um, <laughs> I, seen that. Uh, seen I've that. Got, I've got to admit, I, I mean, Dominic Raab doesn't come across particularly well in the first place. The, the the problem is we we have also been left with slightly uh, charismaless leaders in this time. And I guess the worry for me as well, Adam, is if you feel like the... The people you relate to most when speaking are Jurgen Klopp or Pep Guardiola. Do we have a problem overall with our leaders in society? If you are more inspired by Jurgen Klopp, Pep Guardiola, Pochettino, Pochettino At Newcastle United, uh, and, and Steve Pochettino. Bruce. I mm. was, I was, my, how was my bacon. Did you say? Um, Steve uh, Bruce how was the pandemic?
5: Did you say? <laughs>
0: <laughs> but, uh, but I, I think that is. I wouldn't disagree with the fact that we need better leaders in certain departments. Um, but at the same time, I would also argue that it's a. Dare I make the argument that it's a underlying desire to reflect the responsibility off of ourselves to say right. we need a big strong person or a big strong leader one person to take that all on their own shoulders we need people in positions who make decisions within our society to make more informed decisions and ones that we but, haven't Ni- been happy with
3: but nico that's a true leader that, oh yeah for that, sure that, that it's not about the persona of a leader of persona of how they can deliver things or whatever it's about and delegate and all that stuff but, but yeah, for it, example it, it,
0: like you we're asking for examples of how people can do things the six feet that has been mandated by the the CDC and the WHO is arbitrary. It's not to say that it isn't it it doesn't work in stopping people from getting infected. But what it the idea that put that pushes across is spend as little time as possible as you can with people in confined spaces. What we need to do as individuals, and this needs to be pushed across by our leaders who take responsibility for things, is push that across, not say be an individual and you know, do whatever you want as long as you're adhering to these largely arbitrary guidelines. They should be saying you should still be practicing
2: and following social distancing and I'm doing the same. So Adam, just to add to this now then, this as an opportunity for changing football is something again, which is unprecedented. We've seen and unprecedented things happen. One of the best Premier League runs of all time, unprecedented (laughs) levels of People just scoring goals, doing incredible things, and just winning fucking games. A oh a god! Luck right. there. Watford
3: Football just Club. Team. Jesus Christ, yeah. what yeah, a team. What a side. Dave, if,
2: you've, if you've only got one name, Dave, then I'd say that you're a little bit flawed. Hey, yeah, we would have done, done you as well argument. if we had had wow. half a
3: midfielder on the bench. You didn't, though, did not though, did you,
2: mate? You didn't. You it's fucking it's lost, you hey, arseholes. Hey, ar- we do, so. you, we <laughs> do you Bruno Fernandes now. That'd be, that's for sure. Let
1: sure yeah, get alright That's the same as me being like, well, if
2: Penny Darglish was still in the side, we do you. What the fuck are you big talking brutal. about? Are talking about your ass? Lopes. Big Brewski. Have you, have you seen what Big I'm butt- <laughs> What I'm saying is, butt- <laughs> 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 Unprecedented <laughs> levels of things happening in society. So there is also a chance to have an unprecedented level of change in football. Mm. If we're not, and I said this at the start of the podcast, if we're not going to play football in stadiums, don't make us play in empty stadiums. Take us to a place where there is take us ability- to the moon. <laughs> take, it, take us. What I'm saying is, take Anti- us to an environment gravity where- football, <laughs> where we can. I think he's making fun of your accent, Kristen. So within that, <laughs> we can we can film football better. We can take us closer to the pitch. We can have 360 experiences. We can have the experiences that technologically are now possible around a billion dollar sport, billion pound sport, whatever you want to call it. Why can't we get closer? And we I monetize that, I'll happily pay extra money to be able to watch something with a better experience. You know, make it a better experience of watching football. Don't just go back to the same visual lexicon of having Gary Neville, having Jamie Carrier. Maybe people want the reassuring experience of the same voices all those kind of things. Maybe they want some similar camera angles. Experiment a little bit. Graham? Get exciting. Graham? What do you yourself? think of Bob Pogba, Graham? I... But yeah, oh, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. I think it's really... it's imp- Christ.
4: It's, re- it's a... Interesting, broader point you make about, and I think Nico said it a couple of times, Like, there is a massive opportunity for change for the positive. But this whole situation, as well as everything that's gone before in the last 5, 10, 15 years, there's no evidence that any positive decisions will be made that will change football for the better. It's only going to change for the worse. And this situation is going to exacerbate and speed up those processes and I'm scared and anxious about what's going to happen in the immediate future, as well as the long-term future of the game, because it's not right. going to be good.
2: So so this is where you're saying it, it's similar to the experience that we've had on the internet, where when the internet first came along, everyone was told this oh, will democratize this is such an society. Yeah. This is an opportunity for us to all communicate better. It will be better. We were sold on the idea. And we were sold on the utopian idea of what would happen. We will be sold on a utopian idea of football. But I don't, I don't think we will be sold on the utopian bet.
4: idea. We've, we're seeing that there will be no utopia. The game yeah. is going to be played. The Premier League is going to be brought back because the financial imperative is there. And, yeah. and the, the the consequences, I don't think, are going to be positive. But we've got to wrap up. We've been going for a while. I feel like there's... If you're there's, still listening, so, congrats. But there's so much to talk about. And all, I feel like we've almost even though we've delved into the issue, it's almost barely scratched the surface because there's so many layers to it, there's so many details. That Another podcast, you say? Hopefully there's enough more podcasts. If people enjoy this podcast and want to listen to more, if they want to rate and review the podcast, you know, you could do that. That would be great. <laughs> just to finish Help though, just to wrap up. it up. Like I said, I feel like there's a chance the Premier League is not going to come back. How will you feel, Lawrence, if it doesn't come back and that long-awaited crowning of Liverpool Championship uh, as champions doesn't happen? Uh,
2: uh, not as gutted as I think people will want me to feel, possibly. Um, I think in this season there, I've experienced some things kind of emotionally with the rest of the fans that I don't think we've experienced as a football club for quite some time. And as a, as a fan base, I think we've had a lot of confidence returned to us. Mm. There are a lot of things that... And th- this is something we didn't really discuss earlier. So... Um, I don't know, I've not really shared this story elsewhere, but I've got someone who's quite close to me who's quite sick at the moment, and they're also a Liverpool fan. And it became kind of apparent to me that not that that person necessarily would not be in my life anymore, but that there will be elderly fans out there who this might be their last chance to see someone lift a title or to experience a title run and to experience something that they haven't experienced as a Liverpool fan since... 30 years ago since they were a younger man and th- there was an element of tragedy in that for me that i not that i thought oh, god i want someone to feel sorry for all the liverpool fans collectively mm. but that for some people out there this might that might have been and I, there's a very there's a society and obviously as a as someone who's younger i'm not looking at death tomorrow and thinking god this might be my last opportunity so i can afford to banter people off and be like yeah, don't worry about it because we've still all got another however long to live. Mm-hmm. But it's when you're when you are reminded that there is someone who might be seeing the last of what they might see in their life, and I'm not I'm not saying that's the person who's close to me, but I'm saying I was reminded how finite their life might be. Could be a year, it could be ten, you know, it could be fifteen, it could be twenty. We don't know. It brought it into a stark sort of um, focus for me mm. that. While we're all going, while it's hilarious that Liverpool won't win the title, and it is funny, I can see, I can see that element of it. I can see why that is a funny
3: joke. Because it's like Dave it, Chappelle said, if, if we're it's going funny with reels, though, Lawrence, it, um, it's not funny. It, it should no, what happen. I'm saying it, what it's I'm deserved. Do you know what I mean? It's it's I, part I get, of a a point that should have happened. That makes sense. Get, like they they're, get, it, they're yeah. so deserving of this. They battered the shit out of everyone. It's and, not get, even get, a point get, of conjecture. It's just that like yeah should happen
2: and and i get and i get what you're saying with that dave but it's kind of what dave chappelle says where it's like it's it's funny until it's happening to you right and so it is here there is you know even in a shakespeare tragedy or a shakespeare comedy you have to have someone who's suffering in order to get some of the tragedy sometimes someone there is going to be a butt of the joke and in this case it might be liverpool that is the butt of some people's jokes and I'm, i'm sort of okay with that because actually I looked at other people around the table on the kickoff who were so wrapped up in being miserable with their own football club. And the reaction that we had from so many people who were so angry about Arsenal, or about the way we were covering Man City, the way we were covering Manchester United. I realized all I've had this season from Liverpool is wins, a lot of joy, a lot of really great moments shared with people who are close to me and a manager that I love and a team that I can't complain about because they've made minimal mistakes and have done a lot of things that I consider to be fantastic and given me great moments. So even if we don't win the title this season, I don't really care about the record books because it's because like, it's well, about the, the
0: friends they made along the way. <laughs> yeah. Partly, I think that's yeah, it is a brilliant <laughs> message here to end the podcast. It <laughs> yeah. is true. No, yeah. and at the
2: same time, at the same time, to add to that, the the season when Liverpool did miss out on the Champions League, the next season that team was more motivated to go back. I don't know <sighs> if that'll happen next time because maybe they'll feel there is an element of emotional burnout from these guys. Maybe there will have been. They might be at the end of their Klopp
3: life. There so might not be a next season. But we'll knows? see. Uh, <laughs> all,
2: all I'm saying is, it, you don't know when your last great football match might be. And that's partly what, um, what the coronavirus has brought in, where it's like, you, we took for granted a lot of those things. Hmm. So when people go, you're not going to win the title, it's like, screw it. Like There's more important things than that. But I really enjoyed that run that we were on. Hmm. And that, for me, is as good as watching Jordan Henderson lift the trophy.
4: I like that. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. Um, listen let, let's wrap it up there I feel that like there's much more to talk about in the coming weeks if you want to jump back on the podcast I'd be delighted to do so I've missed you guys I'd love speaking to speak you it's been a great conversation um, hope everyone out there enjoyed it as well um, even
3: you Dave even Dave um, nah, too busy watching Chicago I... Almada al- it never stops made it? the grind still never
0: stops still can't pronounce names Two it's
3: amazing something's never changed in the game <laughs> yeah. living the dream yeah um,
4: let's I'll um it. let's end it on, yep. on that uh guys thanks so much for listening thanks so much for joining us lawrence thanks for being here thanks for your beautiful you. beautiful thoughts nico saying the whole the whole dave thank you chris thank you um do let us know if you enjoyed the podcast tweets at the front free feel free to rate and review the podcast as well on itunes that'd be much appreciated stay safe and maybe just maybe we'll see you very soon
1: Target.